Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a, a founder from Israel. So uh, definitely, you know, like uh, I love founders from Israel and especially because they just have a, a level of seeing things and so analytical and so strategic that is uh, mind-blowing. But I think that we'll let this founder tell it to ourselves directly. So without further ado, Tom Livney, welcome to the show today. Hey Alejandro, thanks for having me. So originally born in Startup Nation and raised there too. How was life growing up there? You know, Israel, I think, is uh, the best place to live. You know, great weather, really smart people. We have amazing beach. Uh, and, you know, life couldn't uh, be better rather than, you know, it's small country and we always need to think about how we are selling uh, to the U.S. So I think uh, overall it's, was great experience living here and also the army service is something that you know not every person in the world have the experience so and i think we are all lucky to to born and raise here so tell us about the army uh, process because every single person goes through that so 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 tell us about it. what did you do there yes yeah, so unlike a typical israeli entrepreneur going for the a200 or any other uh, intelligence corp uh, unit uh, I've been in the special forces of the paratroopers, uh, still doing the, the reserved, uh, participate also in a few wars. And I think the most important thing for an entrepreneur is resilience. And I really think that the army service really helped me with that. So how do you define resilience? You know, like startups is a holy coaster, right? Like you go ups and downs and there is a lot of... Uh, you know, difficult moments and happy moments. So, you know, you need to be, you know, really strong. And then the bad moments and then, you know, the happy moments is really important to celebrate. But, you know, know that tomorrow could be a bad day. So, you know, uh, I think that eventually uh, to take everything in perspective and, you know, not to um, to get... Uh, uh, you know, tired or like to be full of energy and motivation all the time, you know, and to think positive because, you know, as a founder and CEO, you have like this, uh, I call it like kind of mania depressor, right? Because, you know, as an entrepreneur, you need to think all the time really uh, positive and everything is 
is good. And as a CEO, you need to be all the time pessimistic. You know, are we hiring the right people? Are we going for the right go-to-market? You know, are we spending too much money, etc.? And, you know, as a founder and CEO, you need to have a balance of both of them. So it's really interesting. And in your case, you had a very interesting combination there. Uh, you combined law and business. How did you came about with that combination? Yeah, so, you know, all my friends make uh, fun of me that, you know, since I was born, you know, the lawyer uh, certification was, uh, you know, near my bed because both my father is a lawyer, my sister is a lawyer, and my brother is a lawyer. So I'm a lawyer too. And, you know, so when I got to study, I, you know, I knew that there is a really interesting uh, combination here in Israel, both for lawyer and business administration. So I went for for this uh, uh, route and, you know, I was more attractive to the business rather than the law, but eventually I completed both. Very nice. Very nice. And then, and then you started really in the, in the labor world and you started there. I mean, you were, you were at the Lumitech, uh, which was, you know, like your segue into startups. So what were you doing, you know, when it comes really to investing in, in startups, like what were some of those uh, patterns that you saw on businesses that perform well versus those that didn't perform so well? Yeah. So, you know, my experience there was like, um, you know, like what will make you excited as an investor is like really strong team that you want to work with them uh, for for the long run. You know, big markets that, you know, where you would be able to create uh, good returns. Right. And obviously, like uh, um, added value or sustainable uh, uh, competitive edge, you know, if it's technology or any other unique product. Uh, Etc. And you know, and the combination of all of those will make you, you know, positive investment uh, uh, decision. And what you're looking in the entrepreneurs is, as I said, resilience and someone that is like, I would say, is like uh, fanatic about the business. You know, he thinks about the business all the time when he's in the shower, when he goes to sleep, and you know, really, you know. Um, you know, like the, the the company is in the first place, you know, rather than anything else. So this is kind of like the addicted entrepreneurs you, you're looking to back. And uh, and this is, you know, those are the ones that create great companies. So then I know that while you were there, you had an encounter with an entrepreneur that came pitching to you. And that definitely, you know, turned out to be something that you had not expected. So So what happened? Yes, you know, I was working at Lumitech as an associate and, uh, and part of the screening process, you know, uh, I met with an entrepreneur, his name is Elon, he pitched me his company and then my feedback to him was like, uh, as a single founder, it would be really hard for you to raise money and um, and if you approach Lumitech in a pre-seed stage, um, you know, you have no idea who you should talk with. You should talk with like angel investors, micro VCs, accelerators, etc. And then out of nowhere, he told me, Tom, look how I can solve those two issues. Come and join me as an equal co-founder at the company. And then, you know, I thought about it uh, over the weekend and I said, you know, I was really opportunistic and I decided, uh, you know, to join the ride and it was uh, a good learning experience for me. So what, what ended up being the uh, business model there in App Insight? So what we did was like uh, automated uh, penetration testing for mobile apps. And, you know, the business model was selling to app owner, uh, you know, scanning every time they're releasing a new version uh, 
of the app. So this was like the, the business model and the best uh, learning experience for me was like, um, you know, that in every company that I will create in the future, I want to have a real revenue from the day one, right? And I actually applied it really nicely in, uh, at Verbit and uh, the company that I'm running today. Uh, I will tell you the story right after. Uh, but yeah, so the app inside, we had to build a technology to do a lot of POC, POCs. And then, you know, we were really far from revenue. And this was like really a learning experience, um, you know, uh, in the first company. And here it was actually the first time that now you were on the other side of the table. How did that look like when, you know, you finally go to the other side and, and where you're actually the one asking for money rather than you giving the money? You know, I, I felt that, you know, I'm going to, you know, amazing journey and, you know, really handling the real problems. You know, as an investor, you all, you have multiple companies, you sit on the board and you're not really touching, you know, how to raise the money, how to do the go-to-market and the strategy, how to hire people, how to build a product. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, you need to think about all those things. And it was, uh, as I said, great learning experience for me. And I really uh, enjoyed it. And this is why I'm still, uh, you know, in the operating role rather than, you know, investing. Although, you know, from time to time, I do small angel investment of my own, but, you know, mainly operating as a, as a CEO and the founder of Verbit. It's like uh, 200% of my time today. I hear you. I hear you. And obviously here during App Insight, you know, there was a, something completely unexpected, some news that you got from, from your co-founder. What happened there? Yes. Yeah, so unfortunately, after a few months after we raised the, the seed round, uh, my co-founder informed me that he is sick with cancer. And then it was really rough time uh, for everyone mainly for me, you know, that I'm in charge of like uh, the money that we raise from investor for my co-founder that now six, sick and from the, you know, six employees that we hired because we were really, really early stage. So I'm in charge for everyone. It was really, uh, really a tough situation to make everyone happy. So then I took really brave decision and I decided to give back, you know, uh, almost 80% of the money that we raised, uh, uh, from the investor to give them back their money and then shut down the company. So it wasn't easy. And we spoke about resilience. So like to have this experience and then, you know, to still have the belief in yourself that you can create something big and literally uh, a few months after to start Verbit and to bring Verbit to where it is today, uh, not every person have the, the resilience to go this cycle and still uh, to build another company. Got it. So how, how long did it take from from you being informed by your co-founder to the moment that that the decision was made and, and that you had to close down and, and, and return the money to investors? Uh, within a few weeks, you know, we tried to, you know, to see if we can buy them out or so. We tried to come up with a creative solution. But once we realized it's not going to happen, then I said, guys, I don't want to burn any more of your money. I don't want to be responsible for that. So I just want to give you back your money. And, you know, a few weeks after we, we call it a day and, and shut down the company. Got it. Because your co-founder was obviously not in a state to, to continue working. No, unfortunately he's uh, not with us uh, today. So it was really tough uh, situation there. 
well, I'm sure that uh, Tom, that uh, Elon is is looking down and, and and very proud of what of what you're doing. I really hope so. Yeah. So then, tell us then what happened. So uh, obviously, you know, like it's a, a tough one to swallow. Here we are talking about resilience. So resilience to a whole nother level. Uh, the money's returned to investors. You guys say uh, close down the operation, and then you're left thinking, you know, what's next? What happened? Yeah, so, you know, as uh, we discussed earlier, uh, my background, I'm a lawyer. No one is perfect. So I remember as a lawyer how much time and how much money we're spending on legal transcription, right? And uh, every few months we were changing the vendors that we work with because they're always late and not accurate, right? And I had to do the editing of those legal transcription and deposition myself because it was not accurate and we were spending hundreds of thousands of uh, dollars of those uh, positions. And then, you know, I said there have to be a better way. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're looking for problem with high friction and low efficiencies, right? That you can bring technologies and, and, and change it around. And, you know, and then while I was starting to explore about this transcription, professional transcription market, right? I saw how big is the the opportunity, because think about also our conversation right now. So we have this, uh, your amazing podcast, which I'm a big fan, by the way. Thank you. Um, uh, and then there's a lot of verbal information, right? And if you want to have a professional transcript, and you can hear my terrible Israeli accent, right? So if you want to get professional transcript <laughs> of uh, 100% accuracy, it's like there is no AI and no speech technology can do it. And... Um, you know, and then I was amazed with like the how many use cases you can do it, not only in legal and like creating very big uh, opportunity. And and then you know I decided that okay, I want to do something. This is also one of the learning experience, something that I'm really passionate about. So like the up inside experiences was around mobile security, and my background is really not related to mobile security. Although if you're a quick learner, you can learn really quick everything. Uh, but then I said, you know. I want to have something um, with my own passion and kind of as an entrepreneur solving your own problem was really, uh, you know, resonating with me. And this is, you know, how uh, uh, Verbit uh, um, uh, started. So I said, you know, we have to reinvent uh, and to bring uh, technology to this uh, legacy world of transcription. And instead of doing everything manually, uh, to bring AI and innovation to this huge market. and you know, here we are today, three years, uh, a bit more than three years since inception, you know, uh, building Verbit. And how was, how did you assemble the founding team here? Yeah, so the founding team was like me, Kobe and Eric, uh, three of us, three founders. So, you know, like then I said, okay, this is like the, the idea. And then I said, okay, I have to bring a, an AI and speech recognition expert. And, you know, I was start to, you know, reach out my network and through mutual friends, uh, you know, I got connected to Eric, uh, our CTO and co-founder. He has a PhD uh, in the domain, you know, third time entrepreneur um, and, you know, really vast experience in, um, you know, speech recognition. And then we got connected. He was just about to finish his vesting, uh, uh, in Intel after they acquired, uh, you know, a startup called Ginger that he was part of. And, uh, you know, we said, okay, let, let's start to build it. And it was really funny. So we were having this Skype call twice a week. And then I said, you know what, Eric, 
and he was in the Bay Area. I said, I'm just buying one-way tickets and, and, and let's start working on it more seriously. And then I, I flew over. I slept on his couch for a few weeks. And, uh, you know, a friend of us gave us uh, some space to work, uh, to start working on. And then, you know, we built the whole plan. And then I told him, look, Arik, uh, you know, I'm going to go back to Israel, raise some money. And if I will be successful, then I want you to come back and we can start working on it seriously. And then, you know, after like two of us working, so he was like the brain behind the the AI and the speech, and I was more in the business side, but then we said we, we still need to have someone in the engineering and the product related that will help us to build the marketplace, uh, you know, because today we have 15,000 freelancers in our community uh, at Verbit because our solution is hybrid of AI and speech and human in the loop. Um, so then, you know, he Eric told me, so I have... Uh, in, Kobe, that was a co-founder with me in my one of my previous companies, um, I we felt that we need a third angle. So then he introduced me to Kobe, and I managed to convince Kobe to join us. And since then, we are working three of us happily together uh, until today at Verbit. That's amazing. So then, so the, what what ended up being the business model for the people that are listening to get it? Um, so the business model is quite simple. It's per audio minute, right? So, you know, usually your podcast episode is around, you know, let's call it 60 minutes an hour, right? So like a dollar per minute. Um, uh, you know, this is really roughly the, the price dollar to $2 and could be, it's really depend, you know, with the, the industry and, you know, the volume and the turnaround, there's a lot of parameters, but, uh, you know, like this is like the, the prices and um, you know we are aiming to more B two B related because we have like different competitors that are going for the long tail that you can just upload any audio and put your credit card and get a transcript. So we are you know aiming for the uh, enterprise. So to become a, a customer of Verbit is minimum ten thousand dollars. So you know if like for all the entrepreneurs out there, there is really different go to market strategies. You know, if you want to do it like more inside sales related, so it really depends on the check size uh, and if it's more self-serve, so it's more marketing. And if it's more like a big deal size, then you need to go more upmarket and enterprise sales related, which is really pricey. So you need to understand who are the customers, what is like the average deal size, who is the buyer, and then to make the go-to-market um, accordingly. So I think it could be really good advice for all the entrepreneurs. Got it. And in this case, I mean, you were alluding to, you know, once the team, you know, was coming together, then you were already immediately thinking about funding. So uh, how much capital have you guys raised for, for the company so far? So we raised up to today 65 million. Uh, most of the money is still in the bank. So it's good for us because, you know, we're growing very fast and efficiently. Um but like the, you know, the interesting story that even before, you know, raising some money, we were starting to selling the product, right? So I remember the first customer that, you know, uh, we were, we managed to convince him to buy the product. We didn't have anything ready yet. And then he was starting sell, sending us some audio files to transcribe. And then I remember this moment that I was doing the transcription myself. Right, and I was telling to my co-founders, you have to start writing code and build a product because I won't be able to do it for all day myself. And then, you know, the pitch 
for the investor was like, you know, we already have paying customer and there's such a big market, you know, we can keep bootstrapping the company, why we should uh, take the money from you. And then, you know, the whole pitch and the whole story was like uh, different, not why to convince them to give us money, why they should convince us like to choose from them. And, you know, so far we were lucky that every uh, founding round that we went through, we got multiples offer and then, you know, we were able to choose who, who is the, you know, the partner that we want to work with because eventually while choosing to receive, uh, you're working with is really, really critical. Who is the, the, the partner that will join your board, how you get along, uh, you he's sharing the same vision, right? So there's a lot of parameters you need to check as an entrepreneur while doing the, the uh, reverse due diligence for the VCs. And recently I saw that you guys raised the Series B. So you announced that uh, last month. So congratulations on that. That's uh, fantastic. And so I guess, uh, you know, like I, I'd like to ask you here, like what has what have been the main differences that you have encountered from going from the seed round to the Series A round and then from the A round to the B round? Yes, a great question. So in seed round is more about like promising and selling the dream, right? So then, you know, if you have a strong team and compelling story in a big market, I think, you know, you should be able to, to raise money. And then in the Series A, they want to see that, you know, there is a, what I call the technological uh, risk. So then, you know, if you were able to build a product, and you were able to show, you know, initial product market fit. So like at least three or four customer initial traction, you know, uh, interesting in, in what uh, you built in the technology. And then Series B is more showing, you know, okay, we raised the Series A. We managed to, to grow from, you know, 1 million to 4 million in revenue. Uh, and then, you know, to say, okay, now we want to take the 4 million and make it like 40 million. So then it's more the the growth stage and uh, the CUSB. So, you know, if, if every stage is different kind of risk elements that the investors are examining when they're looking at your company. And of course, storytelling has also been a key component there. So tell us about storytelling in fundraising, Tom. Yeah, I think eventually a lot of people already discussed it, but, you know, it's all about the, the storytelling. So, you know, the investor need to fall in love because eventually they're betting their career on you. So they want to get the confront that, you know, uh, they want to work with you and then you can return their fund and you're this kind of resilient entrepreneur that, you know, is obsessed about his company. And, you know, so you need to be able to transfer all this uh, information and message in really, uh, you know, one hour of first meeting. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you're going for audition or so, so you need to be able to convince them and to, to show that your confidence in yourself. So it's all, all those parameters and, you know, you need to really, really know your, uh, you know, your shit, right. The, all the data and all the information and, and, you know, usually you need to practice a lot, a lot of like other uh, fellows entrepreneur and pitch the story and shape it. And then, you know, once you feel you're ready, so to have the flow and, you know, so my, my personal uh, ex uh, experience is I never use a deck, you know, to fundraise, right? So it's all about me sitting there and telling the story and sometimes even showing the demo of the product. So for us, it's really compelling that, you know, for instance, we can take this uh, 
you know, uh, episode and literally upload it to the Verbit platform and get, you know, the automated transcript really fast. And then for me showing as a freelancer how I'm doing the correction where needed. So it's really, you know, about the experience uh, that you are transforming to the, the investor and, uh, you know, how you communicate the, the story. So I think it's uh, really, really important. And and obviously in your case, you did think a lot about blitzscaling, which is the you know what Reed Hoffman you know really alludes to doing like that crazy growth, hyper growth. You know when when you are a, a startup. So what what did you really get out of out of that blitzscaling mentality or mindset, and and how have you applied that to Verbit? Yeah, yeah, great, great stuff. So I think you know if I'll start like high level, so eventually. In order to create like positive momentum, right? So when you do fundraising, it's all about the FOMO, the fears of missing out, and to create really good buzz and momentum around your company. So the number one indicator to create value is is growth, right? What like what really really investors are looking is is the growth, uh, and once you're able to to back it with data, so it's critical. And you know, but if you're going back for the blitz scaling, I think it's like the ability to live with uncertainty, right? So there's, and you need to take a lot of decision when you don't have the, you know, the perfect data and you need to do a educated bet, I call it, right? So, you know, you need to really embrace the uncertainty and, and to, to live with it and to be able, uh, you know, to, to grow your company in this direction. And I really think, again, you know, the army, service that you know as a young uh, kid you need to take a lot of uh, decision with uncertainty and you know to embrace this kind of situation so it's really helping you to be more on the kind of risk taker side and to keep like fueling the momentum and the growth in order to keep the bleed scaling going and you definitely kept it going because you went from uh, the founding team to 100 people in no time in just a few years so so I guess in, in in a process like that, or or in a transformation like that, that the that the business is is experiencing, how do you embrace culture, and how do you make sure that you keep a good culture with its core principles? Yeah, so like culture is one of my my favorite topics in general. So you know, we really early in the days kind of created our core values. So when, you know, we got just got started, a lot of people told me about, you know, how important is, is core values and culture, et cetera. But this was really, really amorphic for me. I didn't know what does it mean. So I tried to educate myself kind of as an autodidact and learn, you know, what does it mean? And then I saw a really interesting uh, YouTube uh, movie of uh, Jeff, the CEO and founder of Twilio, talking about articulating the core values. So any entrepreneur should watch this video. Um, and then, so he really gave a really good framework about how to build this, this core value. So then, you know, what I did, I sent this uh, link to our VPHR, and then uh, she saw it, she came to me amazed. Wow, you know, Tom is great, let's do it. Then we build a, a presentation presenting it to our management team why we think it's important to have like uh you know core values uh in the company and then we got uh, the alignment of everyone this is really critical and then the vphr literally interviewed each one of the employees at the company what is it verbit for them you know why they came to work for verbit and all this kind of question and then you know we got there all the information and 
then we we didn't do only you know uh, collaboration. We also gave it a, you know kind of a, a sentence that could you know explain exactly what we're meaning with collaboration. So uh, we can only succeed together. So then we created like the five core values uh, of Verbit, and then we had a whole announcement in front of the company that this is like the the result, and also for the board level we. We presented it, and now you know every time that we are hiring new people, so we kind of build a list of questions that you know reflect uh, those core values, and to see if there is a, you know culture fit for this candidate. And also, you know, when we do uh, the employment assessment uh, every year, so then you know we ask questions around these core values, and then making sure that um, those core values are reflected in our company and represent who we are. And eventually, eventually, it's all translate to better business results. Eventually, so I think it's really important for every uh, you know startup that is growing in order to maintain the culture. Um, but eventually, you know, culture is defined, and I think it's from the Netflix uh, founder. Like, is who you hire, who you fire, who you promote. So you can have all these core values, but I think those three are really critical. And talking about hiring, I know that for you, uh, you always think about potential candidates as people that you would actually see yourself working for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and also for you, hiring senior people has been top of mind early on. Why, why was that the case? Yeah, so great question. So um, I think that, you know, like when you're really like growing so fast as a company, so then, you know, you have the, those people where you started the company with really in the early days and now they reach to a ceiling and then you need to keep growing the business, right? So I was lucky as a CEO and founder to have like this compounded growth as a, as a personal, on the personal level. So I'm still ahead of the curve as, as like the CEO of the company, but not always the case that other uh, you know, VPs, et cetera, is growing at the same pace of you. And then they're in a ceiling. And then you always need to have the consideration, what is the best interest of the company, right? And then, you know, you said, okay, if like now we want to take the company from 10 million to 50 million in revenue, this guy is not good enough or this girl is not good enough to take me to this journey. And then you need to upgrade your management team and uplift your senior management team. And then, you know, you're looking for really, really uh, strong candidates that are much better than you. You know, as a CEO, you need to be eight in every discipline. If it's like finance, if it's HR, if it's sales, customer success, marketing, you know, product, R&D, whatever, right? And then you need to bring someone that's 10 in each one of the discipline. And then, so once you bring really, really senior uh, executive with a lot of experience that done it before and you know, um, uh, you know, have a lot of experience than you, then uh, you need to take, uh, like, to get used to the situation that, you know, they, they know better than you and and how you can challenge them on their, you know, professional uh, areas of responsibility. So, you know, now the average age on the Verbit management is, you know, around 50 years, and I'm, like, only 34 years old. Right. So then I have like more than 80 years of accumulated experience. So then, you know, we within one quarter, I need to ramp up and to catch up with all their experience to be able to kind of being the manager and the leader that they will look up to me. 
So, and then creating really good dynamic around the team, like working well together. So I think overall, you know, having this transformation of like, uh, you know, uplifting the management team and then, you know, creating good working environment to work together as a team. All of this is really, you know, interesting learning experience that, you know, every entrepreneur uh, in a growth stage company most likely will experience eventually. And to that, I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, what, what you discussed there in terms of dynamics, because it doesn't matter if you hire a rock star, because at the end of the day, what you want to make sure is that that rock star is able to work with, with the other folks. Uh, because ultimately, you know, you can go faster alone, but farther always when you go together. How do you really foster and embrace uh, those dynamics to make sure that people are working well together? So I think, you know, like to having a, a long process with multiple interviews, right? So I think, you know, every hire for the management team is really critical. So then you need to make sure you make the introduction to all the peers around the table in the management team and then you know, like to have uh, an open discussion, right, about like the specific candidates and usually have multiple candidates uh, like interviewing for a specific role and not only one. And then, uh, you know, have like this open uh, discussions and also when, when you see multiple, so then you can benchmark them against each other. And then, um, and then reaching to the decision, and uh, uh, and then how like how to uh, get the the final decision who to hire. Got it. So so I guess let's say Tom that that you go to sleep tonight. Uh, long day at the office. You put out a couple of fires, which is what founders always do. Uh, and 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 then you go to sleep, and you wake up five years later. So obviously a tremendous a tremendous snooze, right? And you wake up and uh, you wake up in a world where the vision of Burbit is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah, so we are as a management uh, team ringing the bell, going public in the Nasdaq, uh, and then you know creating the biggest uh, uh, technological transcription platform in the world in multicode multiple vertical, multiple domains, and building really meaningful uh, and, and, and big company and doing, you know, uh, good returns to our investor that believed in us along the way and, you know, creating value to all the stakeholders, which is our employees, uh, you know, keeping serving well our customers. Um, and, yeah, and also, as I said, we have 15,000 freelancers all around the world Right. So, you know, you can think about us as the Uber for transcription. So we are creating a lot of jobs to people around the world. So then as we are growing, we're creating more jobs for more people. And, you know, we also have people from, you know, third world countries. Right. We are like we are getting email because of Verbit. We have the ability to feed our family and take care of our kids. And then, you know, like keep keep doing what we were doing and creating a you know, a lot of works from home for people who really needs it. And, you know, to be a leading company in our domain. And, you know, I really think that it's our to lose because, you know, in terms of competition, we don't have a real serious competition and, you know, we are well funded for the opportunity. So I really believe that, you know, we are in the right path uh, to, to reach in five years for going public, uh, you know, as uh, I just described. Very nice. Very nice. So, for the folks that are listening, you know, like typically we have the um, 
you know, the same question asked to the guest, you know, towards the end, and that is, knowing what you know now, Tom, if you had that opportunity to speak with your younger self, you know, with that younger Tom, uh, perhaps that is still, you know, working, you know, at a large corporation, uh, if, if you had that opportunity to really share one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why based on, on what you know now? Um, so, yeah, as I said, you really, really need to enjoy the ride and to be passionate about what you're doing because, you know, like to be an entrepreneur is really, really tough and you need to be resilient. And if you want to enjoy and you want to be really passionate about what you do, so then uh, you won't be able to uh, survive the journey because it's a really tough journey. Uh, so be really, really passionate about it. And again, it's all about the people, right? So you really, really need to, as I said, people, you would like to work from them and you want to learn from them. And then the people around that surround you is who you are and uh, will define which company you're going to have. So I, guess, I love it. Like all about the people and to be passionate. Those are the two main. I love it. Without a doubt, passion, you know, and people. Good combination there. So, Tom, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, yeah, you can uh, via LinkedIn, Tom Livne and LinkedIn, or in my email, tom at verbi.ai. You know, feel free to reach out. Fantastic. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. As I said, a big fan of what you your guys are doing and keep on doing that. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.